Welcome to Getting Credit, a podcast focusing on financial markets, corporate credit, and timely insights from Pacific Funds. Here's your host, Dominic Nolan, CEO of Pacific Asset Management, the sub-advisor for the Pacific Funds Fixed Income Strategies. Hello, and thank you for tuning into number 43. In the next 10 minutes, I'm going to touch on a week August, hawkish central banks in a slowing economy, opportunities in fixed income, and finish with a personal reflection. Let's begin. Before we touch on the rough August, the setup was really going into July, with the first half of the year being the worst half for equities in over 50 years, and the worst bond market in index history, it just felt as though the markets entered the second half extremely bearish. And then in July, the inflation print came in a bit tamer, so markets rallied thinking the Fed may not be as aggressive. But the Fed has essentially reset market hopes with more hawkish rhetoric. So as a result, the S&P index was down 4% in August, year-to-date down 16 The tech-heavy Russell 1000 growth index was down almost 5% in August and off 17% for the year. The Russell 2000 value index fared a bit better, down 3% for the month and 12% for the year. International equities continue to underperform domestic equities. Now let's get to bonds. Rates moved up across the curve. Uh, The Bloomberg aggregate bond index was down almost 3% during August. The performance in August was as bad as any year prior to this year. So year-to-date, the aggregate index is down almost 11%. High-yield bonds gave up a couple percent and remained down 11% for the year. The standout was floating rate loans, which were up 1.5% for the month and year-to-date down about 1%. Floating rate continues to defend very well against this difficult inflationary environment. So in a nutshell, central banks are still dictating risk premia, in my opinion. I think this is a good segue into the expectations for the Federal Reserve. Later this month, the consensus is a 75 basis point hike. I think the odds as of today are around 95% chance of that happening. One thing to keep in mind, though, is we do have the consumer price index numbers coming in between now and then. But I think it's just going to take a big move in CPI to either swing the Fed up to 100 basis points or down to 50. Consensus is also for a 50 basis point hike in November and 25 in December. So if we get that, you're looking at a Fed Fund's target range of 3.75 to 4% at the end of this year. Yesterday, Fed Chair Powell reaffirmed his stance on the Fed's hawkishness, saying he's essentially pleased with the tighter monetary response. So as far as markets being fed up with the Fed, I would say it's a two-way street. We're in a world where the Fed is indicating they're indifferent to the market's response. So the relationship certainly is not lovey-dovey between Fed and markets right now. As we get into 2023, expectations are perhaps for another 25 to 50 basis points right now. However, I think inflation numbers will roll over enough to where the Fed can take a pause in hikes. As we think about rate hikes in 2023, assuming we're at 4% at the end of 22, there might be room for 25 or 50 basis points more which I think is aggressive. I also think inflation numbers will roll over enough to where the Fed can take a pause. Despite the Fed rhetoric, I think there's a greater chance of easing in the second half of 23. Another aspect of the Fed is quantitative tightening. So this began technically in June 
And the initial target was to reduce the balance sheet by about $47 billion per month. In June, though, the Fed actually reduced by about $5 billion, so dramatically under the target. And in July, by $21 billion, again, half its target. It wasn't until August that the Fed actually hit the gross target, but the overweight was in treasuries. They sold about $39 billion in treasuries, with the target being $30 billion. On the mortgage-backed side, the target was $17.5 in August. The Fed sold less than half of that. So it took a couple of months to ramp up, but the Fed is essentially at their target, and I think going forward, the pace will be very aggressive. As it relates to the balance sheet, expect that the balance sheet is reduced to about $8.5 trillion, which is down from $9 trillion at the end of this year. And assuming things continue in 2023, balance sheet gets to about $7.5 trillion. One of the knock-on effects of QT, though, I think is decreased bond liquidity. It's difficult to quantify decreasing liquidity, but one way is to measure the amount of bonds you can sell in the marketplace without essentially moving the market. That number appears to be decreasing. So I would categorize bond liquidity right now as an ongoing concern. So let's take a step back and look at the philosophy of the central banks. Supply has been constrained, resulting in inflationary pressures. This is something the world has been well aware of for the past two years. And the central banks are attempting to constrain demand. So if you have constrained supply and your reaction is to curb demand, that's going to lead to a slowing global economy. So essentially, the odds of recession continue to increase as the central banks increase their hawkish posture. Where I disagree with the Fed is back in 2021, when inflation numbers were rapidly increasing, the Fed seemed very determined to ignore the trajectory and kept monetary policy very loose in spite of the rising inflation. Now we're seeing numbers come out that indicate inflation may be rolling over and the Fed is digging in their heels on tightening. So I think their view of inflation in the long term getting into 2% might be fine, but I think their tactics right now are just extremely reactive and causing unnecessary market volatility. I feel more strongly today as commodity prices have been rolling over, used car prices are lower, shipping and trucking freight rates have been substantially lower, and there's increasing evidence on a crack in the housing market. In particular, mortgage applications and housing starts are also lower. All those things are indicating a slowing economy, which to me should give the Fed room to back off the hawkish stance. But we're also seeing the central bank take that position over in Europe. So the ECB raised interest rates 75 basis points. And while Europe has the same overriding situation as we do, they have an energy crisis thrown in on top of that. So obviously Russia is at the core of the energy situation, but Europe has slowing growth and an aggressive central bank. As an investor, just simply keep an eye on the various uh, sovereign debt levels given their construct. Meanwhile, in China, I think the zero COVID policies are just crushing growth. You have a looming property crisis on top of that. Put it all together and you have a global economy and global housing market close to recession, if not already in one. And this is all happening in the face of aggressive central banks. That's not a good recipe. Fortunately, in the U.S., we have a much better energy infrastructure than Europe and substantially more business-friendly COVID policies than China. I just think it's amazing that two individuals, Putin and Xi Jinping, are affecting billions of people. In the end, Europe's just too dependent on Russia for energy, and I think our U.S. consumer is too dependent on China for goods. Let's turn to fixed income. 
and in particular opportunities. I'll start with yield levels. The Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index has a yield to risk of around 4%, which is substantially higher than a couple years ago. Yield to worst for corporates are almost 5%. Triple B corporates are now about five and a quarter. U.S. high yield is yielding eight and a half. And floating rate loans, without incorporating the forward curve, stands at about 8.3%. In my opinion, the stage is being set for a very strong return profile for credit over the next few years. Again, expect volatility in the near term, but I think there's opportunities in so many places. Right now, the clear defender against inflation has been floating rate, and I maintain a very constructive view of loans. I think you're going to get continued volatility and high yield, so that might be something to nibble at, but nothing to jump in. And on the investment grade side, when you have yields above 5% or around 5% in a global economy that's slowing, I think that sets up pretty well from a duration standpoint over the next few years. One more thing to leave you with as it relates to credit. Current defaults in floating rate loans are around 1.5%. Forecasted defaults are expected to be between 2 to 3% in 2023, so certainly going up. When we look through to the asset class and what's being priced in, the implied default rate right now, assuming a recovery of 55 cents on the dollar, which is historically low, it's pricing at a default rate of over 5. So when you look at current defaults, expected defaults, and what's implied in the asset class, a lot of what the concerns are already baked in. Again, giving me more comfort with the asset class. And as always, I'll close with a personal reflection. I've had a lot of interactions this month where I feel as though I know what TV station is playing in the households of various folks after just spending a couple of minutes with them. And I think we've all had that experience, especially through COVID. It reminds me of a quote from Epictetus, a second century Greek Stoic. He said, quote, you become what you give your attention to, unquote. And for all of us in the modern day, I just think for us, we need to stop giving power to those who try to predetermine our reality. I'll leave you with that. Thank you and stay tuned. The views in this commentary are as of the date recorded and are presented for informational purposes only. These views should not be construed as investment advice, an endorsement of any security mutual fund, sector, or index, or to predict performance of any investment. The opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice, as market and other conditions warrant. Any performance data quoted represents past performance, which does not guarantee future results. Any forward-looking statements are not guaranteed. All material is compiled from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. All third-party trademarks referenced belong to respective owners. Pacific Funds and Pacific Asset Management LLC are registered service marks of Pacific Life Insurance Company. Pacific Life Insurance Company is the administrator for Pacific Funds. It is not a fiduciary and therefore does not give advice or make recommendations regarding insurance or investment profit.